dost thou need more than these? Lovest thou me? Let's have everyone stand. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. We'll ask all the men that will, if you would come. Let's just gather around this altar, and let's just lift up this service. And let's just ask God to just to do a work today. As I look out at the crowd, I know some of you I know, some of you are visitors, but I know that there's many, many needs represented. And I know that this is a place where that need can be met. I know the one that can meet your need. And as we come and gather into this place, let's trust the Lord. Look to the Lord. Listen for him to speak to your heart today. I promise you that if you come today looking for a word from God, you will get one if your heart is open and receptive. So let's pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, as they just sung, Lord, may we love you more than these. May we love you more than anything else in this world, anything else in our lives. Lord, I pray that during this service that we would magnify you. I pray that we would glorify you and the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted. And Lord, as your word goes forth in, in, in the message, through the singing, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to my heart. May my heart be open and receptive to what you have for me today. And Lord, we pray for all the needs that are represented. Lord, would you touch, would you bless, would you touch this service? We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
a few moments and get out of your seat, cross the aisles and fellowship. Meet people and fellowship with one another.
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. I'll ask the ushers to come at this time if they would. And as they come, I would like to say to anybody that is here today, and this is your first time visiting Temple Baptist Church, we want you to know that you are a very special and very honored guest. I believe, I know that there was a lot of churches in Chattanooga that you could have went to today, but the fact that you chose to come to Temple is an honor to us, and we are so glad that you're here. And if this, if this is your first time at Temple Baptist Church, we would, if it's not too much trouble, if you would take the time to fill out a visitor's card, uh, there is one in the bulletin that you can tear out and, and to fill out some information, drop it in the offering plate. If you did not receive a bulletin, uh, there should be some visitor cards behind the pew. But if you would take just a moment and fill that out, we would appreciate it. We'd like to have a record of your visit. We'd like to send you some information about the church this week through mail. And so we are, we're just so glad that you're here. And everyone that is here, it's good to see everyone here today. We are honored today with uh, several visitors that I was able to meet. It's good to have uh, Sister Sherry's father, Mr. Green. He is here today. It's good to have them here today, as well as Sherry's uh, sister, Eva, and husband, Lynn. It's good to have them in the service today. They were here for the wedding yesterday, and many of you were here for Tracy and Ashley's wedding, a beautiful wedding yesterday afternoon. And then all the family. This is a unique honeymoon. All the family went on a cruise, every last one of them. Brother Ken, Sister Sherry, all the boys, all their wives, and all the grandkids. Now, this is something that they, Brother Kim was saying they haven't done in years, and just a family vacation, and uh, so we're excited that they're, they're able to go, and they'll be back on Thursday, so we want to remember them. We're honored today to have with us Brother Bob Sanders, and I'll introduce him in a little bit, but I've been excited and looking forward uh, to the services today. I found out about two months ago that he would be here, and I've been looking forward and praying for him ever since, and so I am looking forward to him being here. But one other thing. Very, very important. As you know, we got a church office over there, and there's some important people in that office over there. There's a pastor, there's an associate pastor, there's a youth pastor, but probably the most important person in that office is the secretary. And she is sitting right over here, and Rhonda Perry's birthday was yesterday. And so let's give Rhonda a good hand and wish her a happy birthday. She told me that she's turning 32. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But I appreciate Rhonda, and she is a blessing to our church. So you make sure you get over and, and to uh, speak to her and to wish her a happy birthday. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege just to be able to give. And Lord, I pray that you'll just bless the giving, bless this money, and use it for the furtherment of your kingdom. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
one day four men brought a crippled man to Jesus. Still and lifeless he lay upon his bed. He had not moved since he was just a baby. Still he longed to become a normal man. Now we don't know much about the men that carry the corners of his tattered bed that day. But if we may create an illustration, we'll see what these men might have had to say. Suppose that first man said, I hate to doubt it, for Jesus touched my eyes and I was blind. And he made me see, and there's no doubt about it, but this man's needs are more serious than mine. So full that second man said, no need to bother. This man's condition will remain the same. Though Jesus touched my head when it was withered, I don't believe he can heal a man so lame. Suppose that third man said, I hate to question, but no one here is more skeptical than me. Though Jesus touched me when I was a leper, this helpless man will never want to see. Then every eye was turned to the fourth man to see how he might criticize and doubt. But all three men were startled with amazement when that fourth man stopped and said his name out loud. He said, my name is Lazarus, could I testify? John 3.16 says, For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm so thankful that one day he reached down his hand and he saved me. And the blood of Jesus Christ still has power today to save the lost. Listen to the message in this song. It's called, It's Still the Cross. not conservative or liberal 
however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics, power, or prestige. It's about a simple message. And whether we believe, it's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name, the name of Jesus that has power to save. It's still the cross. Now we can water down theology and preach the word to suit our needs. We can justify sweet, subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel, all the truth contained within, it's still the cross, still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free, it's still the that has fired to save the lost. It's still the cross. Though some may say it's man's religion or ancient history, the cross of Jesus still remains the price for sin that has set
Ricky, before you go any farther, last Saturday morning, I was before God saying, you know what, I don't love me. I don't know how you could love me. I know my family loves me. But God, if I believe, and I do, you're still God. And it's still the cross that brings the victory. And I stayed there with God until we wrestled. We actually did battle with Satan. You know, I have a lot of health problems, and with that comes a lot of other things. And I absolutely could not find God. Job said, I looked in front of me, I looked behind me, I looked to my left, I looked to my right, and God wasn't there. But you know what, folks? God's still there. The cross is still the answer, and I have victory in my life today because of the cross. I'd like to sing one more verse, Rick. Is that all right with you? Was it for crimes that I
Oh. 
that good? I don't know about you, but God's already spoken to my heart. Well, I believe we are in for a real treat this morning, a real blessing. Uh, Brother Bob Sanders and his wife are here today. In fact, Miss Sanders, would you mind standing? I'd like to, I would like for everybody to know that you're here. Let's give her a hand. Welcome her to the service today, Mrs. Sanders. But Brother Bob has been a blessing to me. I've been able to spend a little bit of time with him over the past several years in the Bible conference and different times that he has been here. And it has just been a tremendous, tremendous pleasure and joy for me to just to be around, just to be able to spend time with him. And I appreciate him. And, and I've been looking forward to today. And we've been praying for you, brother, for, for, for some time now. And I've, been, I've known for about two months that he's going to be coming. And uh, so we've been praying for you. So let's welcome Brother Bob Sanders as he comes to the platform today. Bless you, brother. Amen. I have certainly enjoyed the music program I was telling several of the folks earlier if the Lord would let me move out of East Tennessee and move down this area, I could come down here and become a professional Christian and just sit on the pew and enjoy the music. And uh, I know the caliber of preaching that you're used to and enjoy the preaching. And uh, I tell you what, it's been a blessing to my heart. I was thinking of uh, the songs that have been sung this morning and how that they have already spoken to my own heart, and I was thinking of that last number that was sung and how that it is one of my favorites, and how that I can know that there's peace and enjoy the peace of God. And uh, I told one fellow one time, I got up and was enjoying such a tremendous day, I told him, I said, I must be doing something wrong, must be sin in my life, I'm enjoying it too much, and uh, but it's all because we can have this peace, we can have this joy in our heart and our life. Why? All because of the cross. And I enjoyed the music program this morning about the cross and about the peace of God. And I'm so thankful that we have a wonderful Lord and Savior that can give that kind of peace and give that kind of joy. I'm afraid many times in our lives we're not enjoying the fullness of everything that God has for us is because we are not intimate and know Him like He wants to be known. If you know Him intimately, then you'll know the joy and the peace that is ours through the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I was wondering, what time does the service start tonight, brother? 6.30? Well, it's right now. I've got 3.35. And so why don't I just go ahead and preach both messages and... We'll get out about 7.30. All in favor, amen. Oh, me. If you will this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter number 9 this morning. And I want to deal with a subject this morning that I know that, 
that touches all of our lives. Every one of us, no matter who we are, it touches our lives. And that is the area or the subject of suffering. I was thinking as our sister gave her testimony this morning about an event in her life. As I look across the auditorium and as I have greeted folks out in the vestibule, I realize that as folks came by, every one of us are touched in some area of our lives with suffering. I picked the phone up this morning and called my mom at home, and this is the second Sunday in a row that my mom and dad have not been permitted to go to church because of illness. That illness not only touches my life and touches their life, but it touches the lives of the church family that they were so intimately close with. And so this morning I want to look at a man's life, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And this morning I want you to think with me on this subject, Paul, the suffering Christian. Notice, if you will, in verse number 15 and verse number 16, and I want to sort of break in and we'll be looking at the majority of this chapter. And I want you to notice the Bible said, But the Lord said unto him, talking about Ananias, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the, before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, notice this, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we're indeed grateful to be in the house of God this morning. We thank you for the honor and the privilege of being able to assemble as believers. And that assembly is not uh, by the works of man's hands and not just a stirring of human flesh. But we're glad in the assembly today that we felt the sweetness of the Holy Spirit of God as that Holy Spirit has magnified the Son of God. And He in turn has magnified the Father. Lord, we thank You that we can know that You're here and we can enjoy Your presence. But Lord, as we enter into this time of preaching, Lord, I pray that the anointing of the precious Holy Spirit of God would breathe upon us and touch us and use us now for Your glory. May our hearts be open and receptive to receive the truth of the Word of God that we may leave this place helped and bettered by the Word of God. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. As you study the Bible and look at different characters within the Word of God, you'll find a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. I believe that as we look at his life that you will realize that he was probably one of the most dynamic and one of the most dedicated Christians that we have recorded for us in the Word of God. But may I say not only as we look at his life and we see his dedication, we see his loyalty to Christ, I believe as you look at his life from the time of his conversion and ultimately until the time that he runs out and gives his life on a chopping block for the cause of Christ, that he is primarily one of the most 
suffering individuals on planet earth. Apart from the Lord uh, who suffered tremendously upon this earth, I believe the Apostle Paul was a picture of what it meant to be a suffering Christian. May I say we need to realize that suffering is part of the Christian life. There's an element of folks today that would tell you that, that there is no suffering. Once a person gets saved and redeemed by the marvelous grace of God, that there's, there's no suffering in the Christian life. But may I say as you read church history and you read about different folks in the Word of God, you read about men that were boiled in oil, you read uh, the book uh, on uh, uh, famous Christians and you read about how that they suffered at the stake and they were burned alive and, and they gave themselves uh, continually to the work of God. Uh, good people, loving people, dedicated people. You realize that suffering is part of the Christian life. And here the Apostle Paul is, uh, uh, he is pictured here for us as a suffering individual of God. Well, I want you to look, if you will, at verse number 16, if you will. And I want you to realize, first of all, the providence of suffering. Sometimes we lose, as our sister was talking about today, in the midst of our adversity, we sort of lose God. We sense that maybe God's not in control or maybe things have gotten out of hand. But as you look at the life of the Apostle Paul here, you begin to realize that God is in control in this suffering. And as you realize and help you understand something about suffering, you must understand that there's providence involved in it. The Apostle Paul here is on his road uh, down uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's smitten from his beast. He's knocked to the ground. And as he rises uh, uh, from that beast or rises from the ground, he's blinded. Uh, he's led by the hand uh, over to uh, a place, uh, uh, to Judas's house. And, and while he's over there, he sits in darkness for three days with nothing to eat, with, with nothing there, but in the darkness wondering what God's doing, thinking God maybe is doing nothing. How many times in your life as a child of God do you, you relate sort of symbolically to this situation of the Apostle Paul? You find yourself seemingly knocked from your, your, your pedestal, knocked uh, down to the ground, and there in the dust, there seemingly losing sight of God, uh, there seemingly blinded to what God's doing. You find yourself wondering and questioning, what in the world is God doing? And here the Apostle Paul is. Uh, here he sits in this darkness. Uh, but you need to realize, uh, even though that Paul does not think God is doing anything, God is working. God's working in his life. And God's working in the life of a man by the name of Ananias. Uh, and Ananias is going to come and bring a message uh, and bring refreshment and bring help to the Apostle Paul. A lot of times in our lives we think that we're sitting here in this darkness uh, and God has forgotten us uh, and we're wondering where God is. Uh, and, uh, and all the time God is on the perimeter of our life working in other people's lives uh, to bring us a message uh, and bring us refreshment and bring us help in our life. But notice something here about this providence of God or this providence in suffering. Keep your place there, if you will. But I want you to turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 
chapter number 11 and begin looking in verse number 24. And as we think about this providence of suffering and where God is in our suffering, I want you to notice that there is a diversity of suffering. As the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11, and he begins in verse number 24 down through the remainder of the chapter, he begins to tell about some suffering that he has went through, some suffering that he has endured in his life. Now notice, if you will, something interesting as he talks about these things that have happened in his life. Notice, if you will, in verse 24 through verse number 26, most of everything that he lists here in areas of suffering is physical suffering. He talks about being five times, uh, received 40 stripes, saved one. He talks about being beaten with rods. He talks about being stoned. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talks about perils of water. He talks about perils of countrymen. He talks about physical suffering in our life. And I want to tell you there's times in your life and in my life that God in His sovereign will and knowledge will permit physical suffering to come in our life. But notice if you will, notice also in verse number 27 He uses a little phrase there as He talks about weariness and painfulness and watching that. He's talking about what it is to suffer mental anguish. There's not only physical suffering, but there's mental anguish. There's, there's, there's mental suffering. Uh, he's talking about trying to stay awake at night, knowing that, that, that men have set themselves uh, uh, to take his life, have making a bond that will we'll, we'll not, we'll not eat, will not drink, will not do anything until we kill this man. And in this mental anguish of knowing that others are against him, the mental aspect. And you know, a lot of times in our life as children of God, it's not sometimes the physical, but it's the mental warfare. It's the mental anguish of, of dealing with daily problems that ultimately a lot of times lead to physical anguish. But notice, if you will, not only in verse number 24 through 26, in verse 27, but look at verse number 28. Notice he says, and besides these th those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He's talking here of spiritual, of spiritual suffering. Uh, the, the warfares, our sister was giving her testimony of warfare between uh, uh, the, the us and, and the enemies uh, of the cross, the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want you to notice. Notice the diversity of this suffering. There is physical, there is spiritual, there is mental suffering. And here's the part I want you to realize. You don't choose your area of suffering. It'd be good if we could go, uh, go down the line like a man would go to Morrison's cafeteria and say, okay, Lord, I know I have to suffer. I know that there's uh, areas of my life that there's going to be suffering and anguish and trials and tribulation. Lord, I, I think I'll take a little of this. And I think that, that I might want a little of this. And Lord, if it's okay, I think I could take a dab of that. But I don't want any of this. And I don't want any of this. Lord, uh, this is what I want in my life. 
It doesn't work that way. It's God that chooses to send the diversity of suffering in your life. The thing that, that I might be able to deal with, my brother may not be able to. And the thing that he can handle or the adversity that, that seemingly uh, presents no problem to him would be a stumbling for me. And so God, in his wisdom, to some, he merits out physical. To some, he merits out a, a mental type anguish. To some, they're involved in a spiritual suffering in their life. But it's God knowing you, knowing me, knowing our frame, knowing the very hairs on our head, knows what you need knows what I need in my life. We do not choose the diversity of suffering we want. There's a variety of it. And if we were to go through this room this morning, if we were to go from individual to individual, uh, we would know the, the anguish of, of variety and diversity in every person's life. And let me make this comment. Please don't be too critical when you find other people not being able to deal with something you can Sometimes in our lives we minimize the hurt of others. We think, what's the problem? I can handle that. But you know, I've seen many years ago, I've seen uh, individuals as they have had their parents, as they have grown older, and the anguish in their life as their parents uh, have become invalid and, and see the grief that was stricken in their heart. And I thought to myself, What's the problem? Why can't you deal with this? Why can't you give that burden to the Lord? But as I said uh, just a few moments ago, last Sunday is the first Sunday that I know that my dad's missed Sunday school and church at all, apart from some deathly or some illness in his life, because at 85 years old, last Sunday was the first Sunday that he could not physically get out of bed and go to church. And now there's the mental anguish of calling home and wondering how he's doing today. Wonder if he can get up. Wonder if he's going to quit. Wonder if he's going to just give up on living. Wonder if I've left the house for this time never to go back and see him alive again. See, what I thought was easy to deal with maybe a few years ago had become a burden to my own heart. And I'm just saying that to say this. When you see another brother or sister that's in anguish, it may be physical. You may have went through it. Don't despise it. Don't minimize it. Be there to help them. It may be mental. It may be spiritual. But it's a diversity. Be there for a brother or sister in Christ. But notice something else about this suffering. Not only does it in the providence of God, there's a diversity of suffering, but the duration of suffering. The Apostle Paul here in these verses, he talks about being uh, there in verse 24. He talks about being whipped with a cat, uh, cat of nine tails, uh, 40 stripes, save one. He talks about being beaten with rods. He talks about shipwreck. He talks about events, certain events that they happened and they, they, they happened that day and tomorrow they was over with. He talks about uh, times that, 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 uh, that he went uh, for periods of time, maybe a week, uh, that, he went, that, he, that there was this anguish within himself. And then the anguish was over after a week. But do you remember he told about another tale? He talked about how that he was drug outside the city walls of Lystra. And there that he was pounded over and over and over with rocks to the point they thought he was dead and those that gathered around him thought he was dead. 
And all of a sudden, he rose up. Let me ask you a question. You think he got over that in a day? You think he got over that in a week? You think that, that in a month, that, that, that being left there probably from that, that being beaten with those stones, uh, they may have been bones broken and exposed through the skin. Uh, they, they, there's no telling the, the gory mess that he looked like. I want to tell you, years down the road, he may have had problems with that. But he talks about in another place, he talks about there was a messenger of Satan given me. And he said, I prayed unto God and asked God to remove him three times. You know when he got rid of that suffering? The day his body went to one side of the chopping block and his head fell on another side. You say, what are you trying to say, Brother Bob? You don't determine what comes into your life and you don't determine how long it stays. You don't choose that. I don't choose that. It's God himself that must choose that. It, it's it's God that, that, that Paul realized, uh, Lord, uh, you choose what comes through my life. You choose how long it takes. You say, how did Paul respond to suffering? Listen to a little phrase. In Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 11, the apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. I remember the first time I read that verse and, and, and I remember the number of times that I read through it and, and I thought about that verse and I just rejoiced. I said, ain't that exciting? The Apostle Paul has said, I have learned uh, the idea of education. I've learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. And my idea of contentment was uh, I'm going to grit my teeth uh, and by the grace of God, I'm going to persevere. And I could almost shatter when I thought about that until I found out I didn't even know what the verse meant. I mean, I was rejoicing in some. It wasn't even true, and I was rejoicing in it. But the word persevere, he said, I've learned in whatsoever state therewith to be content. The word content there means that there's something, uh, the idea of being free from outside stimuli, to be free from the need of anything on the outside. The picture of there is there's this castle, there's this fortress. And on the outside, there's the enemies gathered all the way around. The gates are raised and on the inside, there, hovered in safety, is, is a group of people and the enemy can't get to them. But in the center of that castle is a well, a well of fresh water providing all they need to ride out the enemy on the outside. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state that God has put something on the inside to whereby I don't need outside stimuli. I don't need anything from the outside. It doesn't matter what's going on the outside. God's given me something on the inside to keep, keep me satisfied in the midst of whatever's going on. You say, what's, what's God given me? He's given me the Holy Spirit. He's given me the fruit of the Spirit. He's given me the presence of God that I can enjoy. That it doesn't matter what's happening out there. There's joy on the inside. How did he respond to this, this persecution? How did he respond to this suffering? He yielded to it and depended and trusted the Lord. Even as our perfect example, the Lord Jesus Christ there in the garden in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, where he said, Not my will, but thy will be done. As we approach suffering in our life, 
let us remember that that suffering has, has providence to it. God meets out what He thinks we need. God gives us in a duration what we need. But thank God, God in His own self has given us all we need on the inside to take care of us. But I want you to look at a second thing, if you will. Turn back to our text, if you will, in Acts chapter number 9 and look again at verse number 16. And notice not only providence in suffering, but the purpose of suffering. Now, you know, when, when I first thought about this, I, I thought within myself, there can be no purpose in suffering. Surely as I've, I've seen people uh, in the hospital, I've seen people afflicted physically, I've seen people as, as they've had mental anguish, as they've dealt with the mental aspect of life, I've seen spiritual warfare. Surely, Lord, we'd be better off without it. But then I begin to realize, no, there is a purpose. There is a purpose that, that God has for allowing this, uh, this to come in. Our, what, Brother Bob, what purpose, what in the world, what good can ever come out of my suffering? I want you to look at something just for a moment. I want you to compare verse number 2 to verse number 5. Here Paul is, and he said, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that, he, uh, that if he found any of this way, talking about those that follow Christ, uh, whether they be men or women, uh, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Here's a fellow comes out of, out of uh, Jerusalem, heading off down to Damascus uh, with a fist full of warrants, uh, with a hatred for Jesus Christ, with a hatred toward the people of God. Here he is going down through there. He's got the world of the tail educated uh, above his intelligence. Uh, he's religious and he's headed off down the road with a hatred in his heart for Jesus Christ. But look at verse number 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. It, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled uh, and astonished, said, Lord, uh, what will thou have me to do? Uh, do you see the difference? Uh, here's a man uh, upright. Here's a man filled with pride. Here's a man with hatred toward Christ uh, and toward the church. Uh, and all because of suffering. He's now laying in the dust. He's now open to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. How many times has God taken a hardened sinner, someone whose heart is cold and callous toward God and seemed like all the pleas of love and all the pleas of the gospel and the pleas of the family and the pleas of the preacher seemingly could not crack that hardened heart and then all of a sudden God meet out some area of suffering in their life, some anguish, and all of a sudden that calloused heart gets softened to the point that would be open and receptive to Jesus Christ. I'd say you would be surprised if we would go across this auditorium this morning and ask for, for just, just words of testimony of people that have, that, have, that have been in that state, that it was taken being put on their back or being put in some, some uh, a trial of adversity, that their hearts were open and they, were, they, they openly opened their arms to embrace Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, 
we're, we're quick to rush in and try to relieve maybe what God's doing in somebody's life to break their heart to bring them to Jesus Christ. You say, would God do that? Well, let me ask you a question. In Matthew chapter number 5, in verse number 29 through 30, uh, the, 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 the Lord's there talking about the anguish of hell and the sweetness of heaven. And he said if a man had an eye that would offend him, it'd be better to pluck his eye out and go to heaven uh, with one eye than go to hell with two good eyes. He said if a limb offended you, it'd be better to cut it off and go to heaven minus a limb that would be to go to hell with a whole body. Is there anything, is there any adversity in life, any anguish within life that is not worth suffering in order to tender the heart of a sinner that he might embrace Jesus Christ as his personal Savior? The purpose of this suffering is the salvation of a sinner. Not only that, look in verse number 15 through 16. Not only the salvation of a sinner, but salutations of the Savior. Notice in verse, the verse there, he said, I, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And in the midst, why this suffering? Notice in verse 15, it says that he will bear to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. In other words, out of this suffering in the Apostle Paul's life, there's going to be salutations to the Savior. The word, the word bear there, bear my name for my name's sake. What did, what did Jesus say? If I be what? Lifted up. I will what? Draw all men unto me. And God is going to allow the Apostle Paul to go and traverse the land, to traverse the known world. Why? To raise up the standard, to raise up the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to think with me just for a moment. In the book of Acts, chapter number 27, don't want you to turn, but let me paraphrase the event for you. The apostle Paul has been taken by Roman guards and he's been put on a ship with a group of other prisoners and they're headed to Rome and in the midst of making their destination toward Rome, a, a storm comes up. And they have not seen a sun, moon, or stars for numerous days. And all of a sudden they are, they are shipwrecked. Uh, and, but, but just previous to being shipwrecked, the Apostle Paul gives a word of testimony for the name of Christ. Uh, and the Bible says that in the midst of giving that testimony that there is an open reception of Jesus Christ. And there's some, somewhere close to a couple hundred men that openly accept the Lord Jesus Christ and they, the, they lose the ship but ultimately, because of the adversity of shipwreck and the testimony of Jesus Christ, these men are redeemed by the marvelous grace of God. Jesus is lifted up in the midst of a shipwreck. They, they get to land and they get out there and, and these villagers gather around. They begin to give hospitality to them. And in the midst of, of the hospitality, they, they've got a fire built. And the Apostle Paul goes out and gathers the wood up and puts it on the fire. And as he gathers the wood, there's a serpent attaches itself to his arm. He gets snake bit. And everybody looks at him and says, God is sending judgment. Here's a man that should have died in the open sea, but God's going to kill him. And he shakes it off in the fire. And there's no harm. And out of being snake bit, the Bible says that the chief of that tribe receives and openly accepts those heathen people except the Lord Jesus Christ. How did it happen? It happened out of shipwreck. It happened out of being snake bit. 
But later on you find out that ultimately he ends up over there in Rome and there he's shackled to Roman guards. Uh, uh, who wants to suffer uh, being locked up? But out of the midst of it, uh, Paul writes in one of his epistles and he says, uh, Caesar's household salutes you. Nobody had been able to impregnate the nation of Rome with the gospel. Not from the outside. So God just sent a man to the inside. In shackles, under the under the the skies of not being a preacher but a slave, being a prisoner, and numerous individuals, the gospel was taken to Rome. You, you see, you see what I'm talking about. None of us want to. None of us want to sign up for shipwreck. None of us want to sign up for snake bite. None of us want to sign up for losing our liberties, but how many of us would be willing through this suffering to be able to advance the cause of Christ and God be honored through the midst of it all? The purpose of suffering is salutations of the Savior. Uh, the purpose of suffering is the salvation of a sinner. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, don't turn for the sake of time, but he talked about that, that thorn that was given him. And he prayed over and over and over and over, Lord, remove it, remove it. But then Paul found God's grace sufficient. And he realized as he wrote that verse over there, he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given me a thorn in the flesh. See, not only, not only does suffering bring salvation to a sinner, not only does it bring salutations to the Savior, but it brings about sanctification in the life of the believer. You know, every now and then we have, we have this tendency. We, we don't sit out to do it, but we have this tendency that we develop an idea that we're, we're greater than we really think we are, that God really can't do without us. And our hearts get cold and our hearts get callous. And God's saying here through the Apostle Paul, He's saying, I've given you something to keep you humble. I've given you something to keep you dependent upon me. You know, it just could be that what you're going through in your life right now as a child of God may be put there to drive you to Him. Maybe there's gain, begin to be too much distance between you and Him personally. You know, as I was thinking about that this morning and thinking about the idea of suffering and this idea of sanctifying or sanctification of the saint, I thought about, I thought about a man by the name of Job. And, and you know, the witness of God said that he was a righteous man, that he eschewed evil. And it was God that introduced Satan into, into Job's life. Job was, was, was making offerings and prayed that his children had sinned. And he was, he, was, he was a good man. But you look at everything that Job went through and all the suffering that Job went through. And finally, over in the end of Job, over in the last chapter, Job said, I've heard of you with the hearing of my ear. But now my eyes see thee. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Job, even though he may have not opted for the, for the suffering previously, before, before it came into his life, do you think quite possibly that, 
that maybe in his heart he's saying by making that comment, I've, I've heard of you, but now... I say, do you think quite possibly he might be saying, it's been worth it all. It's been worth everything that I went through that I might enjoy your intimacy, might enjoy your comfort. But there's a fourth purpose to suffering. Not only salvation of the sinners, the salutations to the Savior, the sanctification of a saint, but write, write this reference down. I don't want you to turn 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 3 through 5. In the midst of those verses, it says something like this, Comfort ye with the comfort with which ye have been comforted. Now let me ask you a question. How are you going to comfort somebody with an area or measure of comfort and you've never needed comfort in that area? How are you going to, how how am I going to relate to your problem if I've never faced that problem? I remember, I remember the first, I remember the first funeral that that I ever preached. Excuse me, second funeral I ever preached. Uh, My wife and I had a friend, I went to school with her, and later on, my wife ended up working with her at a, at a dental office. Her name was Judy. And Judy had gotten married late in life, and Judy and her husband, uh, I believe his name was Steve, had, had, had wanted children and somehow never been able to have children. And all of a sudden, one day, the news came, Judy is expecting. And everybody's excited about Judy now is going to be able to fulfill her dreams. And, and, and we kept in touch. And, and ever so often we hear the, we hear the report of, of Judy and how Judy and, and her baby is, is, is coming along until one day about seven, eight months along in the pregnancy. One day the phone, call, a phone rang. And I answered the phone and Judy was on the other end of the line. And Judy said... Uh, I said, hello, and she said, this is Judy. I said, how are you doing, Judy? She said, well, I'm not doing too good. said, I'm over in Holston Valley Hospital. And I said, well, do, do I need to come by? What? She said, no. I uh, said, I'm over here. Said, uh, said, I've lost my baby. And said, uh, we're making arrangements now, and if you don't care, we're not going to have a full funeral, but said... Uh, would you mind driving to Bristol and would you mind, would you mind doing a graveside service for us? And I said, no, I'd be glad to do whatever I could, Judy, and I never will forget. I drove to Bristol, Tennessee. I, they told me where the graveyard was and I drove through some big stone columns and found my way down through the big cemetery and off in the distance I could see a black hearse and I pulled in behind that black hearse and I saw Judy and her husband get out of the car there in front and walked around. And I never will forget there wasn't any pallbearers. There wasn't but about four or five people that were there. And I watched the funeral director walk over and get a hold of the handle on that big black hearse and open that big black door in the back. And I watched a raw-boned man reach in and grab a little white casket just about that long and cradle it in his arms. And I walked behind him as he walked up through the graveyard just like that up to a little plot and he laid it out in a bunch of little flowers. Now I could look at him I could shake his hand and I could say I love you and I could say that God understands and, and, and I could do the best I could to comfort him but there's one thing I couldn't say. I could not say I understand. There's a lot of people sitting around this room saying, Lord, I wish you'd give me a ministry. 
Lord, I can't sing like these folks have sung. I, I can't preach like Brother Ken. I can't maybe do some area of ministry. Lord, give me a ministry. May I say God may give you a ministry of comfort, ministry of compassion. But I want to tell you, with that ministry of comfort and compassion, there must be some areas of suffering to, to a point that you might be able to identify with those you're going to minister to. I couldn't tell Stephen, I couldn't tell Judy that I understood, but I want to tell you, there's some mamas in this room that could. There's some daddies that could. I, I, I've never lost my father, but there's some men and women in this room that could. They could comfort. I've never had a wayward child, but there's some po- folks that are here that could. You say, what's your point, Brother Bob? Did you know it just could be that what you're going through may be a, a preparatory state to whereby bring about an area of comfort in your life that you might serve not as a dead sea to encompass it, but you might be a flow of living water to minister to the hearts of others? There's the providence in suffering. There's the purpose in suffering. And there's some products in suffering. And there's a power in suffering. Paul experienced a tremendous power in his life through the ministry of suffering that came at the hand of God. I have no idea what you're facing this morning. But I'll tell you this. I'm finding out that the older I get, that many, many folks that I come in contact with, they're suffering anguish, They're suffering physically. They're suffering mentally. They're suffering spiritually in many aspects of their life. And I want to tell you this. There's help this morning. God's in control. He determines what comes. He determines how long it stays. But in the midst of it all, as a child of God, realize that God's give you something on the inside to take care of the anguish and adversity on the outside. And remember that this suffering is not for, not for your hurt or detriment, but it's for your good because there's a purpose. It may be the purpose of salvation. It may be the purpose that you might be able to be used to exalt the Savior. It may be that it might be able to sanctify and draw you closer or that might give you a ministry of comfort to others. May I say the Apostle Paul approached his suffering not trying to fight it off, but he approached his suffering with open arms and in submission to the will of God for his life. How will you face your suffering? Because for every individual in this room, there is going to be suffering in our life. Would you stand, please? Our gracious and most kind Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your abundant goodness to us. Father, I pray in just a few moments as we have a verse of invitation. Lord, I pray for that young man, that young lady, that mom, that dad that somehow has made their way by the providence of God into this assembly this morning. They've suffered, maybe physically, mentally, some warfare within their life. The whole purpose is God is trying to get their attention to point them to the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Lord, I ask you this morning that they would cease their struggle and cease their 
fighting. Today, they would allow someone to maybe take the Word of God and point them to the Lamb of God and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray this morning there may be some child of God that has been questioning and all of a sudden maybe this this morning has realized that God has revealed the purpose. Maybe they just need to come in humble submission. Maybe to be drawn closer. Maybe to just submit to God's perfect will for their life. Lord, have your way during this time of invitation. May you be exalted and honored in everything that's done. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen.